Oh my gosh, the Iron Sheik passed away. What a terrible morning. Sad news. We'll get to it a little bit more in depth later. Alex, ready to roll? I'm really excited about this. Um, I got a chance to work with Alex Powers, the WPF draft. It's the first time I'd ever met her. She's an absolute rock star. Uh, I say it went pretty well. And she's a Florida State legend. And she's been around Oklahoma City a minute or two. And she joins us right now on the Plank Show. Alex, what's going on? How are you? What's up, guys? Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me in. Are you still in OKC? Are you coming tonight? Yeah, you know it. I'm here. Been here for the long haul. Are you are you working or are you getting to celebrate with the with the former players on the front row? Uh, both. I'm definitely <laughs> celebrating right the Florida State victories, but I am here with the ACC Network, so we're covering the games, pregame show, postgame show, the whole nine. I I've really dug what the what the ESPN has done, and maybe you could take us a little bit more in depth too because. You know, it's a little different setup. They've kind of made it specific to, like, what, the SEC network and then using that crew, and then you guys came in from the ACC network. How fun has it been to be in the coverage? Because a lot of times they're, you know, they'll have this massive set, and, you know, it's just one. But they've really spread this out, and I love to see the diverse amount of perspective and opinions that we're getting, especially yours, Alex. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's been so fun to cover throughout this week, and, um, I think the difference right now is you had the SEC network here, obviously on site covering the SEC teams that were in attendance at the World Series. And then you had us on the ACC network side covering, you know, Florida State specifically because they were the sole ACC team that made it here in OKC. And then you have your ESPN team, right, that's responsible mm-hmm. for your, your game coverage, your fill shows, things like that on those main networks. And so it's been really fun to see everybody kind of work together, tackle different pieces of this whole pie. And, you know, especially on the side of me, right, having been a Florida State alum, but then also just being associated with the ACC network, it's like you have a dog in the fight. And so it's fun to pull for the team or teams that you're here for. With that in mind, you said it very early in the season that Florida State was the team that had the best, and not just because you were an alum, but you felt like Florida State had the best chance to beat Oklahoma. What have you seen from this team that has helped solidify that opinion and perspective because I, I feel the same way. You have uh, Oklahoma that is just an absolute powerhouse, right? They're a dynasty program and they have been for a long time. Oklahoma is full of power. That's what they're known for. And then you have Florida State. They're not necessarily known for that same aspect of their game. It doesn't mean they can't do it, right? But that's not mm-hmm. what they're great at. That's what Oklahoma's great at. Florida State has strength in their ability to diversify the way in which they win. And I think that's why, in my opinion, right, all season long, Florida State has had the best ability to go into a, you know, big situation, obviously on the, on the largest stage in college softball, and flat out compete against Oklahoma, giving them the best run for their money to defend their national championship title, that they're looking to repeat and, and repeat at that. And, you know, I think that Florida State has some power. They're not known for the power game, but they have power. They lead the country in doubles. They're really good in the circle, as is Oklahoma, but Florida State has a a really in-depth staff. They're good defensively. They can run the bases really well. They lead any currently active teams in in the World Series. They led all teams in the World Series in stolen bases, right? And so they're good at multiple aspects of the game, and that's what they've had to lean into to ultimately win throughout the season. Hey, on that, if you just look at the numbers, I brought this up earlier. If you just look at the stats, if you're an OU fan, you might say – They've only got like five players hitting over 300. This is, 
but for some, and I brought this up. I called two of their games in the tournament, and it's just, it's not sexy, but it's just you look up, and the next thing you know, wow, this game's three to one, or this game's five to one. It's almost, if I use the term, Alex, kind of like silent assassin to describe this Florida State team. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they'll, they'll sneak up on you fast, and Lauren Chamberlain said it best when her and I were talking, right? She's always rooting for her Sooners, but at the same time, she definitely has a good connection and relationship with Florida State and Lonnie Alameda, Travis Wilson, from their involvement previously in the Pro League. And Lauren flat out was like, you know, Florida State is probably the main team that when they get going at the World Series, they're scary and they're hard to beat. And I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's just kind of that tunnel vision, like on a mission type of approach. And that's why Florida State has been so good. What, in your uh, opinion, has made Kat Sandercock so effective? Because not the hardest thrower, but yet just so, so precise. It seems like she's really a fan of the sport. That We've had all the stories that y'all have done about her history, but what, what is, in your mind, as a former player, as, a, as an All-American, All-World type player, what is it that you see about Kat, uh, Kat Sandercock that makes her so good? The game is different now, especially the, the battery game of pitching and, and catching. And so, you know, no longer are the days where just straight heat and velocity will make somebody really good. And mm. Kat Sanderson has she's, – she's flat-out talented, right? Like, that's obvious to everybody. But the way in which Coach or Lonnie Alameda has been able to really help capitalize and tap in on Kat's strengths, right, and kind of using those to approach every opportunity out in, in the circle – but then also working in and honing in on those weaknesses. And that's why Kat Sandercock has been made so effective. But Lonnie Alameda has a track record of doing that with her pitchers, right? She's a pitching coach flat out. I mean, she obviously knows all aspects of the game, but that is the one at Florida State that she most handles in depth. And you look at some of the great pitchers that come through our program, and you have Lacey Waldrop, you have Jessica Burroughs, you have Megan King, you know, Kylie Hansen, all these people. And now, obviously, Danielle Watson got – an opportunity with us and Kaylin Arnold and now you have Kat Sandercock. There's so many people that Kocha has developed throughout the years and that's just what she's so good at and she, they did articles on her and, and the approach that she's taken so not only is Kat Sandercock really good but Lonnie Alameda has complimented a staff around Kat, Sander, Kat Sandercock to make her that much better. Alex Powers is our guest. Alex in 2016 when you were a junior you made the all-women's college World Series team. You were also all-ACC first-team ACC player of the year. But I want to focus it back on the World Series. What is that moment environment like as a player? What's the emotions like? What's the energy like? How is that moment for you as a player whenever you're playing in front of that kind of crowd? Electric. It's what dreams are made of. It's what I you know, sat there and watched when I was a 10, 11, 12-year-old girl telling my parents, I want to be on that stage. I want to play on that field. I want to be an All-American. And it is just that full circle moment where all of your dreams are your now reality. And, I mean, there's nothing, honestly, nothing in my softball playing career that has fulfilled me in the same way that playing on the stage has. That's, that's a great take. So then in that, what's made Lonnie Alameda so successful? I asked what's, what's it like to play on that stage. What's it like to play for Coach Alameda? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I said all the time I could get emotional talking about it. But <laughs> playing at Florida State is by far the best decision I've made in my life to date, right? One day I hope a family and kids and things like that <laughs> will be obviously the greatest, but not there yet. And so just playing at Florida State and allowing that program, the culture that is built within that program, 
to ultimately help mold the woman that I'm becoming is by far one of the things I'm most proud of and take the most passion in and pride in. And Lonnie Alameda is just a true student of the game, of softball, of baseball. She's somebody that wants to learn and progress through time, right? Because she's very aware that how she won 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, yesterday, isn't necessarily how she can win today. And I respect that so much because she's never put herself or what she believes that she's good at above the rest of everybody else's success. And, you know, one of the stories I've loved telling, especially this last week, and especially after Florida State beat Tennessee the other night, was, you know, I covered Florida State games all throughout the season, just kind of like you did, Chris, with covering Mm -hmm. OU and whatnot. And the very first weekend of the, you know, season in 2023, I stay with Kocha most of the time when I call games in Tallahassee, and it's a good opportunity for us to chit-chat, connect, and honestly just hang out, right? And her comment on one of the nights was, I am working right now. I'm putting our team in a position right now alongside her other coaches to beat Oklahoma. I want to beat them on the biggest stage because they're the best program in the country, and they've shown it, and they've won time and time again. I am preparing us from this day forward, playing-wise, game-wise, this season to beat Oklahoma in June. And, like, it just stuck with me ever since, right? Because obviously with that approach, you then kind of work on – the, the rest of everything else, right? You have to attack every single game that comes in that time period throughout, but that was the end goal, and they never shied away from that. You know, it's funny that you say that. You, you got time for one more, Alex, before, or a couple more before I let you get Absolutely. out of here? Absolutely. Absolutely, oh, I do. Okay, cool, cool. Um, I feel, this is my theory, they've had a plan with Kat Sandercock all year, right? I know that she's been really good out of the pen recently. I mean, really good, and we we saw Florida State use the multiple pitcher theory a lot this season. They were the first to do it against Oklahoma and have success. Has all of that been in preparation, kind of maybe to a certain extent, what Oklahoma's done with Jordy Ball to where, all right, here we go. We're going to ride Sandercock. We're going to ride Jordy Ball. Has all of it been to prepare for this moment, or do you think we'll still see that diversity in the in the pitching staff and maybe see a little bit of Mac Leonard or or uh, Gibson as well too? I definitely think we'll see the diversity. You know, I don't know that we're going to see it in game one. In my opinion, right, you you throw your ace against your ace, right? And maybe I'm crazy for saying that. That's why I don't get paid the big bucks. (laughs) But at the same time, like, that's where my head goes because that's what everybody wants, right, also. And not that you have to play that way, but that just makes the most sense. It's the most logical. But on the Florida State side, what I do know is that there's always a plan. And so, you know, say Mac Leonard gets a start, say McKenna Reed or any of the other pitchers, Dubois, anybody in that circle, there's very much a plan as to match up. And Kosha goes into the game knowing that. So you might have, you know, say a Mac Leonard going only one time through the lineup. And if she runs into a lot of trouble prior to, maybe she gets pulled early. Or you might have a plan of McKenna Reed to only face six batters. And that's how Kocha has curated it throughout the entire season so that when that happens, if that has to happen today, tomorrow, possibly Friday, that it's no surprise, that everybody's prepared because they've been there and done that. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be able to intelligently just predict the future and what Coach is going to do because she's a mastermind with that. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't see, you know, be surprised if tomorrow, if today we see ace against ace and tomorrow we see everybody throwing the whole kitchen sink, right? Even Oklahoma included. I know in their matchup back in March, you know, there were several arms on the side of Oklahoma too. So anything goes right now because all you're trying to do is win. I mean, what do you think of Oklahoma? What's been your takeaway in watching them and following them this season as, as advertised in your mind? 
absolutely right I mean how could they not be they're so good I, I just I say that all the time of they're just so good and they do so many things well and you can never count them out you know and I think that's what makes them so dangerous and we saw it a couple of times throughout postseason throughout the season where it's down to the very last strike the very last pitch and they come through and they're not coming through with a single you know off of a pitch down the middle they're coming through with three run home runs a pitch up and out of the zone that I'm sorry, not, not even an average or a very good hitter could hit that. Like they're elite. And I think that that's what makes them so crazy good is that they do those, those crazy plays, the things that you're, you're least expecting all the time. Alex, I'll leave you on this. Uh, for those who don't know, Alex very much involved with uh, USSA pride and also in that the WPF, there's so many conversations about how do we continue to grow this game? What's the next step? And I feel like the the continued development and growth of a professional league is a big step. This is year two of the WPF. Obviously, the USSA pride, no strangers to pro softball. How do you feel about the foundation of pro softball? And is that, in your opinion, also that next big step to continue to grow this game? I absolutely think it is. You know, I'm really proud of the WPF and kind of where it started two years ago, um, in its creation phase, last year being the kind of inaugural season, but at, at a very fundamental level, and then this year being the official championship type of season that we're right now in the midst of, you know, I'm really proud of the growth of softball at the professional level, and I'm just ready to see what that looks like moving forward. And, you know, I think it's in really good hands, and I think that at the end of the day, ESPN has done a great job supporting softball, making softball very visible to people on the external space. And honestly, you know, the joke is that there are softball fans and there are people that just don't know that they're softball <laughs> fans yet, right? Because they've not watched the game. And so it's all about the visibility and it, all people need to do is watch softball. The first step in investing in women's professional softball, collegiate softball is watching softball. And then it goes from there because then the passion starts and the excitement and everything else. Right. And so from the WPF side, Lauren Chamberlain is just the, the cream of the crop as to who could be at the helm of the face of our league and I'm so excited to see where it goes the next couple of years. Can you um, give me maybe a sleeper pick for a player at Florida State we need to keep an eye on? And you don't have to pick De- Bethany Keene, whom mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you're oh younger. <laughs> who I'm pretty sure you're younger than. Uh, but who are you? <laughs> who are you going with as maybe an under the radar player to keep an eye on here for us as Sooner fans at Florida State? Wait, it's so funny because <laughs> Bethany Keene was going to be the one that I picked as soon as I started to ask the question. <laughs> go so ahead with it. Go I, ahead. I yeah. I'll change. I guess I'll change a little bit. But you know. <laughs> Florida State, like, she's somebody to me that was so impressive lately because she was not an everyday starter. She's not been, right? And she's really only come in at some pinch hit situations throughout this postseason, getting really minimal starts. And so I I will not say her because I'll keep it interesting over here. But, (laughs) you know, there's been some really good bats with Kaylee Harding, who's always consistent, Jeff Flaherty having a great postseason. Kaylee Mudge broke the World Series record a couple of seasons ago with most hits in the World Series. But I'm going to go right now with Hallie Waycaser, and she's okay. somebody that's younger, bought, you know, fought back through injury and, and came back stronger, but really having to learn and invest in the education part of the game. She plays right field for Florida State, but honestly, she's just been clutch in some really big offensive moments for the Seminoles. And I, I would say that if you don't know who Hallie Waycaser is, and just keep an eye on her. Love it. Alex, I'll see you tonight. Have a great broadcast. And, uh, man, best of luck. Enjoy. This is going to be a fun couple days. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Alex Powers. She's awesome. Former standout Florida State Seminole. Part of that World Series run they made in 2016. And just uh, 
an all-around rock star. I appreciate her finding time for us. There's your scout on Florida State. What do you think? Hit us up on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, 405-651-3439. It's a Plank Show with Josh Elmer. We'll our top five stories of the day in an abbreviated fashion next. Man, I'm legit. I mean, I'm fired up because we got softball tonight. But I'm legit sad about the Iron Sheik. Whenever I was a little kid, Josh Helmer, I was scared of the Iron Sheik. The Iron Sheik, there's there's four wrestlers that whenever I was a little kid growing up, I was really scared of. The Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, because it was Iran and Russia. I'm like, gosh, they're going to get us. That's how this whole thing's going to start in the WWE ring. Bruiser Brody scared the you-know-what out of me whenever I was a little kid. Also because I was at an event whenever I was real little at Civic Memorial High School, Bethalto, Illinois. Yeah. And he broke the ring rope and started, like, throwing it around. It's like, this man's going to kill us all. You were very frightened. I was very frightened. And then there was the missing link. I guess you could add Kamala. I was kind of afraid of, of Kamala. This isn't political. There was a wrestler named Kamala. That had a handler that would come down to the ring with him. You're talking about the VP? Not talking about the VP. Gosh, where was... From parts unknown, <laughs> the Ugandan beast, Kamala. He'd come out, he'd be slapping his belly. Oh! And then the president would go stumbling down. Gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, that's exactly what would happen. But RIP the Iron Sheik this morning, man. That sucks. They, he had become kind of a bit of a caricature, is that the word I'm looking for, of himself in recent years, but also had gained a lot of social media popularity. The announcement of his passing is very long, long, very long, but RIP, the Iron Sheik. He did not like Hulk Hogan, I think is one way to look at it. But this is a, this is a saddies for me here on this Wednesday morning. Do you want a weather update by chance? Sure. Yeah. Uh, are we in the clear? I think so. I think so. But I will add, oh, quick little sidebar. As much as I think that we get challenged and questioned all the time over sports opinions or even sports facts, maybe more specifically, I'm like, no, no, that, that's, that's the fact. That's what happened. Weather, I don't know how Dr. Kevin Claysell and the weather people do it. I literally, Josh, on the broadcast, Monday, said, hey, uh, Dr. Kevin Clazel says they are monitoring some weather just we're at east of the stadium. It's something worth keeping an eye on, but just kind of give you a heads up. We'll keep an eye on it. Fourth inning, 2-2, whatever it was. Literally, there's no weather near the stadium. You tell that crook to what? What is I, I block some dude on Twitter. He's like, there is no storm activity anywhere near the stadium. I don't know where you're getting that from. Some guy on Facebook finally had to block him. I'm like, he's like, I there is no there's no anything near the stadium. And literally, as the story goes, Josh Helmer, <laughs> as the story goes, uh, they were on the verge of pulling the teams off the field with two outs in the ninth inning. And as soon as the final out happened. They had the weather bulletin. Everyone out. Now, I know they were clearing the stadium anyway, but it is lightnings in the area. 
everyone out. In the fifth inning, they said severe weather is approaching, but yet you have someone who I guess looks at weather.com's map and knows more than a freaking doctor whenever it comes to looking at a weather map. Meteorologist, the only occupation where you could be wrong 99% right. of the time and keep your job. Well, did it end up raining there? It happened? You waste our time. They cleared out the state. I just, I'm like, if all the things were, if you want to push back on me because you disagree with, you know, maybe a number that I looked up, that's fine. But whenever someone who has a doctorate in, in meteorology or whatever the term is, weather and climate, they're like, well, I don't know about you. There's nothing around here. Uh, He's a doctor in weather. <laughs> what does he know? He's just looking at an app, too, I would imagine, right? So here is what Dr. Kevin Clazel sent me early this morning because I am grateful for his weather updates. He said, pouring over the morning balloon data, pretty much no change in the atmosphere from yesterday. Clouds will pop up early in the afternoon, likely get lightning in them by 4 o'clock. They will be very slow-moving storms and will likely peak in intensity and numbers between 6 and 8 p.m. with heavy downpours and even potentially some small hail. After 8 p.m., most will die out. However, due to storm interaction slash boundaries, there will likely be isolated uh, stragglers around producing lightning until about 10 o'clock. Not a great timing sheet for a 6.30 to 9.30 game and more of the same tomorrow. This is all about location, location, location. Storms may increase in number and severity by Friday. As a batch of more spring-like ingredients arrive, Saturday looks stormy as well. So there is your weather report from Dr. Kevin Clazel when it comes to what you should expect for tonight. I know. I understand. You looked at your radar, and you don't see anything. But geez, Louise, I'm starting to think maybe social media isn't the best thing for me, Josh. I'm starting to think maybe it's time for me to move away from it. It is, uh, I think, leading to an eventual blow-up, perhaps. <laughs> Especially, maybe in-game even. It's like, geez, look at this guy. All right, it is 11.30 right here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Sports Radio Network. They <laughs> like this from the 580. Whoever argues weather without a degree obviously hasn't lived in Oklahoma that long. Clearwater Sooner. We're all afraid of Kamala. Girls is bonkers. No, Sam and Edmund, she's way scarier than the wrestler. No, I'm talking about Kamala, the Ugandan giant. Do you know what? The VP. I, the v, Not the VP. <laughs> Camo Sooner brings up a good one, Skandar Akbar. I was very much afraid of Skandar Akbar. No question about that. All right, quick break. When we come back. Official prediction, by the way, from Mr. Sports was 10 to 1. Thunder and lightning at 9 o'clock. Do you know what I like? I like Mr. Sports' Twitter feed. Have you guys followed Mr. Sports he, yet? He's got a follow from me. He's, 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 got, a, he's got a good Twitter feed. I, I, I get a kick out of it. All right, quick break. It is 1131. We're going to take a quick side road and learn a little bit more about the new volleyball coach coming up next right here on The Ref. All right, welcome back into the Plank Show right here on The Ref with Josh Helmer. I'm Chris Plank. <laughs> uh 405-651-3439. Thanks to Alex Powers for joining us. That is 
the way to get in touch with the show on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, 405-651-3439. Right now, though, we say hello to new volleyball coach Aaron Mansfield on the Riverwind Casino jackpot line. Coach, good morning. Uh, I know it's oh, – I'm sure it's been an exciting day going through all of the fun training you've gone through, but how's life treating you? How's, how's let's see, December, January, February, March, I mean, seven, six months on the job been for you here in Norman? Uh, it's been amazing. You know, we uh, <clears throat> we put our head down right when we got here, and there was a lot of work to do and had a really, really solid spring training session um, with our players. And um, – Worked really hard to develop uh, a lot of new systems offensively and defensively. We're certainly asked them to make uh, a lot of changes over the last couple of months, and they've been incredibly resilient through uh, a lot of change. And um, I think one of the biggest challenges in the spring is we didn't have enough players to play six-on-six volleyball. Um, so it was kind of a blessing and a curse in the sense of uh, with a smaller group, there was a lot of high-level learning taking place. Um, we just didn't have the numbers to actually – do something that represents playing the playing the game competitively. So um, I know our players are itching to uh, start competing here in August. Um, but overall, it's been great. May uh, was a time where we got to slow down just a little bit. Our players finished school, and uh, you know, per NCAA rules, we're not able to leave campus to go out and recruit. And so, really, just got to kind of spend some time at home with the family. And uh, our players got to do some traveling. We had some players go to Italy and South Africa and some different places. And, um, and now June 1 hit, and we're back on the recruiting trail. But uh, it's been amazing so far. From, from just the roster perspective, I know with the transfer portal it's challenging anyway. But you come in, uh, Coach, new, new staff, whole new setting. And By the way, I should add, new staff. But my man Drake Stenberg's still around, and Andy Pigeon. Let's oh, go. Yeah. Love Drake. Love Andy. Uh, and and I can't leave out Carl uh, uh, Carly either. But can you take us through what that process has been like? To, I mean, it's it's tough because do you really even truly inherit a roster, or do you have to go out and just completely rebuild and bringing in your own players? Well, you know. My, I, I guess where I where I land on that is my my investment is always to the players that we currently have, and, awesome. and the players that decided to to stay are here for all the right reasons. They're great kids. They work extremely hard, and they want to get good. And so, you know, when, when I say we've asked them to make a lot of changes, it's the truth. And and we've made a lot of advancements and developments with our with our tactics and our skill sets, and, and it has everything to do with how open they've been. And so. Um, it's really exciting for us. Like we love the group that we're working with having nine players on a volleyball team is not, uh, it's not possible. So we, we got our number up to 15. So we'll have 15 on our roster, uh, this coming fall. Um, we added two transfers and we have four incoming freshmen coming in, um, which is still a pretty small number. Um, you know, we don't want to get above maybe 18, but you know, 15 is on, is on the lower end, but we, We've wanted to be really strategic about who we add to our group. Um, our, our culture is really good right now. Um, our, our team chemistry is, continues to improve. And, and so we want to bring people in that are not only skilled, but that can not just be a part of that culture, but that can add to it. And so we've had a lot of visits um, with, with transfers and, and some 2024s and, and a couple 2023s and just feel like the players that we've added are going to be really nice additions. Um, the, the transition to college volleyball, just like any time you go from high school to college, there's always a, a learning curve there and, and a certain amount of time that it takes for them to get used to it. But 
Um, I know our team's eager to get going here in August. And then when it comes to the staff, you know, we have a pretty good amount of continuity. I was able to bring, again, Brian Thornton and Meredith Teague from my last staff. Um, and, uh, and so we understand what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it, both from a culture standpoint and a volleyball tactics standpoint. And we added Regan Hood um, as our final assistant. Uh, it took about three months to get the right person. But uh, Regan came to us from Dartmouth, and she played professionally uh, for 15 years overseas in seven different countries. And so she just has, and she was on our national team for a period of time as well. So she just has a tremendous amount of um, experience seeing a lot of different styles of volleyball. And we look to do things a little bit different, a little, little bit outside the box. And she's already come in with some really good, innovative ideas. And just feels really nice to have a complete staff. You know, we were operating um, – you know, a little understaffed for a while, and we were running, running thin a little bit. We got the job done, but adding her was a really big piece. And then having, like you said, people like Drake and Andy who have been here and know the lay of the land and how things work has been just a really good combination of, of some new and uh, some people who know how things work around here. What drew you to this job, Aaron? What brought you to Norman? I mean, honestly, first and foremost was the people. I mean, Joe C. and, and Jay Rideau were the first people that I talked to in the interview process, and I just loved my conversation with Joe. Um, he made a really uh, great impression on, on me, and uh, I think we were supposed to talk for about a half an hour, and we ended up talking for about two hours, and I just felt like I could really be myself and um, you know, just try to describe as best I could of, of who I was as a person and as a coach and and things we were able to do it at, uh, at LMU where I was before. And then when I got here on campus, uh, my wife was able to come with me and uh, just being on campus and seeing the amount of resources and the people behind them, um, I really started to picture myself here and uh, feel like I could build something special as long as I got the right people here with me. Um, so those are the things that stuck out the most. And, and then uh, I, I love Oklahoma City. I, I think it's great being able to hop up there 15, 20 minutes um, to just experience something a little bit different. Um, but I've absolutely loved my time here. I'm, I was able to get my, my wife and my two young boys who are seven and four uh, here in March, and they got acclimated into some schools, and we moved into a house. So this is finally starting to feel like home. What's, um, what's next? Now, you, as you mentioned, you've, you, you're still you know in this place where, I don't know, roster-wise you're still looking at some players, getting the work that you want in. Where, where are we right now, Coach, and what's next? So uh, June 15th is a big, big date. We can start having conversations with um, uh, incoming juniors in high school. And so uh, that's, that's a real big deal for us. Obviously, uh, that class is going to be a big class, an important class for the future of our program. Um, and besides that, June is a really big time for recruiting. So there's a lot of club tournaments. Um, so myself and my staff are, are gone pretty much every weekend and even during the week for the next three weeks. Uh, and then July is a lot of camps and clinics, and uh, it's an opportunity to get a lot of uh, recruitable student-athletes uh, on our campus, and we can give them tours and do all the things that are compliant here. But with the rules that changed a couple years ago, you know, you're not allowed to have unofficial visits until their, again, June 15th uh, or August 1st of their junior year. And so we want to get as many kids, young kids, on campus as possible um, to see how special it is, and camps and clinics are the way to do that. And so July is is a big push for that. Um, and then we start training August eighth, and uh, and then we just go. Final thought: what what can 
fans do? You you need support. You need fans. Buy tickets. Get involved. What do you need from this community, Aaron, to continue to grow this program to where you expect it and want it to be? You know, I think support looks looks. There's there's different ways to to kind of see it and do it. And obviously, um, coming in and watching, um, you know, our team compete and play and 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 create an environment that's a really special place to play volleyball in, in McCaslin. It's a, we have a very unique opportunity here uh, with our with our setup to I think really get this thing going. And so um, our schedule's out online and. I think, um, you know, our team does a really, really good job of engaging in the community. We've got a lot of great personalities on our team that we want to kind of get out there. And um, if we, we, as a coaching staff and as a, as a team, we're starting to believe in what's possible. I think we've got to go through a season and kind of see where we're at, obviously. But we're not going to be able to do it without the support of the community. And I think when they come to our matches, they're going to see a team that competes extremely hard, um, that takes some chances and takes some risks and, I think that's just extremely supportive of one another. I think, you know, when our group, um, we asked our group to kind of describe itself uh, at the end of the spring and, and the word that came up more often than not from our players is they feel like they're very supported uh, by each other and by the coaching staff. And I think that that's going to go a long ways and you're going to be able to see that when we play. That's very cool. Hey, I, I, I keep saying one more, but real quick before I let you yeah. go, how is the volleyball in this state? As you've kind of gone through and, and recruited, is this going to be a program that can recruit on a quote-unquote tank of gas? I mean, obviously the, the NIL world is is fascinating too, but what, what's this, this state's volleyball scene like, Coach, from what you've been able to tell? It's growing. You know, I would say, you know, four or five years ago um, were the infancy of some, of some clubs, both in Oklahoma City and, uh, and Tulsa. And, and those clubs are getting better. Um, the numbers of participation and the amount of teams that those clubs have continues to increase every single year. So I think there's, there's a fairly grassroots effort, um, and I think it's still expanding and it's still growing. And there are a handful of players in both of those clubs that, um, that we're excited about. You know, we have a 2024 Carly Butler who uh, is one of the best players in the state, and she's out of Tulsa. And so we're really excited to add her, a great athlete, really physical um, and so we continue to want to be really good in our backyard. And so we're very aware of the, of the players in the state at this point, but I think it's growing. I think it's got a ways to go, but, um, the youth development is, is kind of where it starts. Um, so we're excited to kind of continue to develop those relationships with those clubs. And, um, you know, we, we don't want to miss on anyone in our backyard. We want to be good with that. And I'm, I'm confident that we will. Aaron Mansfield from LMU to OU. Uh, I appreciate you finding time for me, Aaron. Best of luck and can't wait to see this team take to the court in August. Thank you. See you, bud. Aaron Mansfield. I sat down with him when he first got hired and, you know, he's kind of going through the laundry list of challenges and then you pull up their online roster and you're like, yeah, we got some work. I think there was only uh, eight players, nine players that were on their roster, but He's got a vision. He's got a vision. They got a plan. And I'm, I hope our conversation was more exciting than the compliance meeting he had to sit through today. Not saying anything wrong with compliance, Brady. Jason Leonard, don't you get mad at him. All right, quick break. When we come back, we'll put a wrap with some of your texts and some final thoughts before OU Florida State for Steel Man and Thune. Take over at noon right here on The Ref. I thought I saw you walk down the hall. All the leaves are brown. Here we get Steel Man's ready to roll next. Very excited. I'm all in on a podcast right now. So, don't get me wrong. I'm really pumped for the game tonight. 
but I'm also really excited for my drive to the game so I can catch up on what's this thing called here so I can make sure I share it with you. Don't tell me what happens. Scamanda. It's hmm. about this. Somebody got scammed. I think. Or was the scammer? I think Abanda's the scammer. It is. I'm all in right now. I kind of feel like this story could have been told in like one episode. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't get. That's no good. <laughs> it doesn't get us paid. R.I.P. Iron Sheik, who has passed away. Let me give you a couple of little nuggets you can use tonight whenever you're having your watch parties or whatever for the softball game. And I, someone had sent us like this overly extensive. Let me see here. Where where was this? From the six one four, it sent me this overly extensive list that I guess uh, someone named Jason Ray had put on Twitter. It's really well done, but I I feel like we told you this right off the top of the show. If Josh Helmer, you look at the numbers and the stats, you would find it hard to believe that Florida State would even be in the same stratosphere as Oklahoma outside of doubles and stolen bases. Those are the two areas where you look at Florida State and go, all right. But if you just were to look at batting averages, runs scored, (laughs) all these offensive numbers, you're like, gosh, they don't even have a chance. But stolen bases, I think it's going to be interesting. Will Florida State try to run? Will they? It's a part of their game. I don't think they can turn it off if they're going to have success. And if so, you know, Kinsey Hansen, <laughs> she hasn't thrown a base runner out stealing this season, but yet only five have tried on her the entire year. Here's the other thing. I mentioned Grace Lyons. Grace Lyons has struggled during this postseason, but what did she do on Monday in her last at bat? She got a big base hit that led to the Sooners game-winning hit. Absolutely. Got the party started. That's right. Uh, Historically, through her career, slumps slash struggles have come with incredible bounce backs. For instance, um, when she missed five, five, six, seven games earlier this year, and I don't think she played against Florida State. Remember, Grace Lyons didn't play against Florida State. She was in a one-for-six slump whenever she went down with her injury. Illness, injury, however you want to describe it. Josh, when she came back, she went on a nine-game hitting streak, was 13 for 23 with four home runs, and in her first four home runs of the season, and increased her average from 341 to 422. After that, she struggled a bit, right? April 1st, the second game of the Texas series, through April 11th, the Iowa State game, she was just one for 13. But then she went on a five for 11 slot, uh, run with a couple of runs scoring a home run. It, you can go back to last year, too, 2022. She had a two for 11 stretch, answered with a nine game hitting streak. She had an 0 for five stretch, answered with a five game hitting streak. In fact, five straight games with multi hits, including a three hit game during that run. When when she has struggled historically throughout her career, like I think it's fair to say Grace Lyons has in this postseason, usually whenever things get cooking, oh, they're cooking with gas. So I would keep an eye on Grace Lyons and the potential that she has tonight t- 
to really have a good game for the Sooners. I'm also, and I'm also going to be intrigued to see what role Jocelyn Erickson may play. Because I, I don't know. I, I really liked her at bats that she had. I don't know if she might, you know, Alina Torres has stepped up and been really good in right field for him and has had some clutch hits. Sid Sanders has had some some really good at bats. I just I feel like you need to find a way to get Jocelyn Erickson to the plate a little bit more. And I know that's tough because then you say, well, who are you taking out? I don't know. Nobody? Can they can you can you bat like eleven? But in all seriousness, I think Jocelyn Erickson, even though even though there's not a bunch of hits or a bunch of fascinating statistical verification behind it. I think in the end, Josh, she's somebody that has earned herself a few more opportunities. As has Alina Torres. So what are you going to do? Which one are you going to put in right? I think it's going to be fun tonight. I think it's going to be a really good game. I think it's going to be a really good game. We totally screwed up by not playing the scene setter, by the way. Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. You can find it on Twitter.com. It's on my Twitter feed, at Plank Show. If not, I'm sure Steel Man and Thune will, will slide it in there because Steely's as fired up as I am right now. All right, Josh, give me a score prediction before I go out the door. I'm going to say 6-3. I'm going 5-1 for tonight. We'll see you guys back here tomorrow to recap it all from Cavens. Cavens Group right here on the Home of Sooner Fans. Steel Man and Thune at noon are next. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Wesco talk and softball talk too right here on The Ref.